Hey, Mom Spaghetti listeners, I featured my favorite songs from Sean Jacobs, a.k.a. Cubs, in episode 29, The Journey, and I'm playing his most recent hit, Louder, under me now. Cubs has been killing it with his electronic pop music since 2016 and was nice enough to set aside some time to talk with me about his own journey. I snuck a decent amount of snippets from our conversation into episode 29, and since you're already here, you know this is the full interview. Cubs is a thoughtful, positive, appreciative guy, which made me enjoy our conversation even more. Cubs mentioned there's an EP coming soon, and based on how much I love the work he's already put out, I really can't wait. Here's the full interview with my man, Cubs. What's going on, Cubs? Welcome to the Mom Spaghetti Podcast. What's up, Keith? Thanks for having me, bro. And thank you for Keith's mom for making him the spaghetti that has inspired a podcast of a generation. <laughs> well, the line comes from the Eminem song, Eminem, Lose yeah. Yourself. <laughs> I so you. I think it was B-Rabbit's mom that we should all be thanking. <laughs> yeah, well, she's, I feel like I would like your mom more than I would like Eminem's mom, so I'll just do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard any good things about, about her. <laughs> yeah, I'm not cleaning out my closet anytime soon. No. <laughs> As you shouldn't. All right. So, Cubs, the first question that, of course, we as the listeners want to find out is you have a unique spelling for your name, C-V-B-Z, and it's pronounced Cubs. What was the inspiration for that? Where does that name come from? It comes from a few places. Like one of my oldest and dearest friends, she always calls me Man Cub or like Boy Cub. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But I think it's from the Jungle Book. I guess I would just, when I was around here, I would personify a cub. And it was endearing and I liked it. And then... Also, my last name is Jacobs, so Cubs is kind of at the end of it. I just, I like the imagery. I'm, like, really into nature. I feel like I have a very old soul and a young spirit at the same time. So, I don't know, it just kind of happened. And then we were, like, running some thought analytics, and we were like, dude, everybody who tries to find me is just going to find a baseball team. And I'm a little bit team sports averse, so I was like, let's just throw a spin on this and send people searching, which that definitely worked. (laughs) It's uh, gotten people off my scent more than I'd like, but I think people are satisfied when they when they find out the, the truth. <laughs> well, The Jungle Book is a great movie, so I'm appreciative that you went that route. My favorite Disney movie yeah. <laughs> is The Lion King, so there's still some cubs there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's cubs heavy. It's, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, that's definitely my favorite as well, that and I think Hercules, but yeah, Lion King for sure. If there's a Disney movie where there's the parental mortality in the beginning, that's pretty much set up to be a good one, no matter what generation. I feel like that's all of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in every generation, there's, there's one great dead parent Disney movie. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> You're like, cut the tape, cut the tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So how did you get into music, and when did the Cubs project start? Well, I guess those are two very different answers. I got into music in the eighth grade going into freshman year as a social survival tactic. That was pretty much like the motivation for picking up a guitar. And then Cubs came maybe eight years later. I was leaving college and I was phasing out of this weird transitionary songwriting period where I was going from rap music to like tropical house, trying to like blend the two. And I wrote one song and sent it to a dear friend of mine down here in LA who's an incredible producer. And he was like, yo, you need to fly down here and we need to make this a song. And once we had the song, we were like, we need to make everything else behind it. You know, we need to make an artist behind the song. It became a collaborative effort. Which song was that? Be Like You. Oh, okay. Yeah. That one was from 2016, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we could say the beginning of Cubs was October 7th, 2015, the moment I wrote that song in my car on the way to class. Oh, wait. There's a date for that? 
I mean, there's a date for everything, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I just didn't know everything if you wrote it in sometime. one day. Or, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, okay, so I, <laughs> I came up with, like, the general ideas for it in the car, walking to class. I had a midterm that day, and I write music on my phone, and I produce on my phone, and so I was working on it, and I literally walked up to the front door of my classroom, or, like, the building, and I had my hand on the door, and I, like, Please tell me you skipped class that day. Oh, yeah. I skipped the midterm, dude. I literally just turned around and started walking to campus. And, you know, I was walking until I was, like, sweaty as hell. Like, you know, <laughs> it was, like, cold out. And I, I had, I had like, all these layers on. And I just walked probably four and a half hours just around campus like a zombie with my face glued to my phone. People probably thought I was crazy, but little did they know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play both sides of the fence here and say stay in school, but also pursue your dreams. <laughs> I mean, dude, totally. School is where I found my dream. Right. You know, that's something that I am a little trepidatious to talk about because I don't think that like the collegiate system, at least like in modern America, I don't think it really like breeds that much self-exploration and innovation, at least in the college culture that I found myself in. It was more just self-medication and inebriation, really like and then pulling yourself together to get to class. You know, there's so many people that I saw in college that were just like, uh, guess I'm going to get this major. I don't know why I picked it when I was drunk four years ago, but, <laughs> you know, and, and I was very much in that same space, but it was at college that I found my dream. So if you're not about school and you're getting pressured to and the walls are closing in on you, like maybe just give it a try because you might find the love of your life there, whether it's in a person or whether it's in yourself or you find what makes you tick. You know, like if you have something that you skip class for that enriches you and it makes four hours go by in two minutes, you've done decades of human work in that, like finding your purpose. And I think that's huge, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you to some extent that the collegiate experience doesn't necessarily foster the drive to find yourself. But I think what the collegiate experience does provide is a gateway to the real world with a little bit more of a sheltered environment. And what I mean by that is it sets you up for understanding that you're only going to get out what you put in. Because college was the first time where I truly started to realize that I wasn't going to get anything out of my fraternity or out of my classes unless I put in the work. And for the classes that I didn't put in the work, I didn't get anything out of them. But I made that conscious decision. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, man. You know, especially like with the whole fraternity thing, you know, because I also went down that path briefly or maybe for too long. But yeah, man, I think that's like with everything in life, especially with other people, man, like what you put into people and what you put into yourself, into the things that you care about or the things that you have to do. We live in a very subjective reality where we're basically projecting everything in our existence, you know, like I said, subjectively in our own little personal cosmos. And like, if you like what you're doing or you force yourself to like what you're doing or you try to see the positive in something, then things will just come to you with greater ease. You know, you're not swimming upstream all the time. And I know it's like a very woo-woo way to try to confer with you on that. But no, no, um, no, yeah, I, I think... I think all difficult things can be made much less difficult if you come from a place of ease and understanding that you're kind of the master of your destiny. You know, even if it's a work meeting, like this is my work meeting if I want it to be. Absolutely. And I think we're sort of dancing into a topic that I love, which is in life, I think you truly dictate the outcome with the energy. 
And I don't mean the energy that you put into something. I just mean if you put in positive energy, you're going to get positive rewards. And it's all about the attitude with which we approach things. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think attitude is a huge part of that. I think attitude is a byproduct of where you're at energetically. I think that if you have anxiety or if you're dreading or fretting over something, I think that's like a basic output response from being in a negative vibration or a frequency. And I mean, these are all just different woo terminologies for energy. But right, right, right. I don't know. I think that we put ourselves into an energetic field that matches with the energy of what we want. For instance, in my field, right, like if I see an artist that I enjoy or that I, let's say, am kind of neck and neck with and they start doing well and I feel jealous or I feel like I'm not good enough or why are they, you know, then that's a great indicator that you are not in the energy of success. But if you see people around you doing well and you celebrate that and it makes you excited and you say, oh, well, that's just more of a possibility that could happen to me. Like that's the magic. That's when life kind of starts unveiling itself to you in perfect proportions. Absolutely. And that's a recurring theme I've been hearing in talking to artists like you, Cubs. And one of the questions I wanted to ask in response to what you're saying is, a lot of your music feels uplifting, and I don't know how much of the lyrics are uplifting, but at least the sound <laughs> and the vibes that it gives me is really uplifting. All of it almost feels like summer music to me, like I'm walking on a beach and this is the soundtrack that I want. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what do you do, Cubs, to stay positive and keep yourself in that mind frame and energy space? Well, honestly, Keith, it's a very difficult task some days to keep yourself in a constant or steady state of pleasant feelings or elation or feeling full of yourself. I guess the big thing is practicing self-love. Anything from like sitting there literally telling yourself how much you love yourself. Like that's usually how I get the wheels turning. And then I'll go for a walk. I walk most of every day, basically aimlessly. And then I try to impart love on other people, you know, just smile at people, wave at people, try to spark conversation or whatever. So at least now I'm getting like the juices flowing. And that basically forces an energetic shift within yourself from a place of love and compassion. And then that kind of snowballs into understanding and awareness all the way up the ladder of the conscious hierarchy or whatever. But, you know, there's days, dude, where I wake up and I have nothing but bad thoughts in me and complete dread for the future and self-loathing and stuff. That's a huge part of being a human. And so I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, we're basically programmed at birth, I believe, sick and hurt. You know, and I know babies aren't necessarily like babies are happy, right? Because they're just pure consciousness in human being form. But we're programmed either from our parents subconsciously. And then, you know, when we turn a certain age, certain micro traumas that we experience in our formative years trigger epigenetic. I mean, this is more of a scientific approach, but epigenetic stress stimuli and triggers, right? Basically, like when you're a 30 year old adult, you're working against generations and it could be eons of stress triggers from all the way from early hominids and stuff, you know, running from panthers and shit. Right. Or you just yell at your bandmate and for no fucking or for no reason at all. <laughs> and you realize that was my dad. Where did that come from? Right. It is an upstream swim most of the time, but it's the most rewarding challenge to face head on because I believe that our job in this life is to love ourselves, love each other, have fun, be comfortable, thrive, reproduce. But I think <laughs> our jobs here as spirits or conscious beings is to elevate the collective consciousness of the world. And that's only really done from within the self. So if you can turn a shitty day into a good day quickly, <laughs> the quicker the better. And you can finish that day with self-love and lay your head on that pillow in complete peace and get a good night's sleep. And you're doing the work for the world within yourself. 
Totally, Cubs. And I have so many thoughts running through my head in response to all you said. One of them is <laughs> this question that we deal with as humans. It's like, what is happiness without sadness? Like, you can't be happy all the time because if you were, then you wouldn't actually be happy. You wouldn't know what the other side of the coin was. The other comment I wanted to make is, as I grow older, it continues to astound me each and every day how much just going outside for 20 minutes and being in nature totally changes your perspective and can make you feel like a part of something bigger and more important, but also less important. There's nothing like being in nature. And I totally resonated with what you said on that and how to stay positive. Thanks, man. Keith, you just brought up two great points. I'm going to tackle the first one, you know, in regards to, I guess I'll call it shadow work, right? You said you can't have the mountain peaks without the uphill climb or the hills without the valleys and all those cliches, but you can't have happy without sad. And that's a huge part of kind of understanding yourself and being gentle enough with yourself and having the patience and the faith in yourself to get through hard times, right? You know, in energy work, they call it shadow work becoming best friends with the worst parts of yourself. And that right there is basically the hidden agenda of my music. Uh, you mentioned before, Keith, that my music sounds like a beach party or summer vibes or whatever. Uh, and it's very much crafted that way because I wish to put out higher vibrational music for the world. But really what you are hearing is me expelling my, quote unquote, demons, my worst fears and insecurities. It's difficult for me to write a happy song because my happiness is for me and for those around me, you know? The reason I picked up a pen to paper and put a pen to paper and started writing music was because of trauma, losing a loved one. And it's kind of always been like that. So like you'll hear like these summer chill EDM beats that make you feel good. And I'm basically just expelling all of my trauma from an ex-girlfriend who cheated on me. When I have no reason to be upset in life, you know, like at the time when I was writing most of these songs, I had everything I wanted and everything I needed to be happy. But my music still just resonated with this deep, dark part of me. And that was kind of my way of training that shadow self. Not even training it, just celebrating it. Right. If it's part of me, it belongs here. And it belongs to the world as well. And I think rather than telling someone to fuck off and honking at them when you're in traffic, if you put out a high vibrational song that makes people feel good and you can still have the same energetic release that you would in traffic or whatever without the guilt of making another human feel bad, then I think that's definitely part of the work. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I guess to your second point, Keith just brought up the healing power of nature. Going out in nature for 20 minutes somehow miraculously makes us feel better. And I've been doing a lot of plant medicine work in the past I'd say a year, my interest has been peaked, but really getting into it the past few months, I just have this intuition in me that we all come from invertebrates and mammals. I think we all literally come from mycelial. I think we come from plant matter. And I think that the more indigenous cultures that were so connected to nature, I think that is the higher state of consciousness. I think that we built these cities and we industrialized our nations and we became a competitive capitalistic species. And then the wave of technological advancements completely shut us off to that. So when we get a 20 minute reprieve and we go out into nature, I think nature takes care of us like greater vigor because it's like, oh, this is my human and he's been on his phone for six hours today. You know, that's the principle behind grounding. You know, if you step in sand or grass for 20 minutes, I guess the earth It either pulls the negative charged ions from your feet or wherever your skin's touching. And from what I've read, I guess having negatively charged ions flowing through the body causes energetic disruptions and sleeplessness and stuff. So like literally we can measure the healing power of nature with modern medicine and technology. But with plant medicine, 
we can measure a relationship on a soul level to the universal soul of, I guess, of the universe itself, which breathes life into nature and nature breathes life into us. And it's no mistake that we're here alongside it. We're all part of it together. Right. And again, I have so many thoughts going through my head. I wasn't sure if I was going to bring up <laughs> any books I've read because the conversation we're having keeps triggering these thoughts of, I want to recommend a book or, oh, have you read this? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Well, one of them that you were talking about with nature and getting back to our roots and the indigenous people having it right in the way we should live with nature, not live in or next to nature. Right. That book is called Ishmael, if you ever get a chance to read it. It's Ishmael. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Let me write that down. Is it I-S-H? M-A-E-L, yeah. Wild book, but very philosophical and makes you wonder about the advancements of humanity. I think it was written in the yeah, 90s. Dude. That sounds like my vibe for sure, especially the philosophical part. I'm, I'm getting all the vibes <laughs> through the interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I didn't want to cut you off because I thought what you were saying was great. As far as the shadow work and understanding yourself and just starting to love the demons that you have and figuring out a healthy way to put those out into the world, my first reaction was what you were saying was beautiful. The second thought I had was maybe beautiful is not the word for it. And the word that came to me for what you're talking about is that's just art, man. Like yeah. that. <laughs> That's why we love music is because it's so cool that you are, like you said, putting the negative thoughts in your head into something that can release them in a positive way and also mm -hmm. become a positive vibe. And what's so special about music to me and why I love doing this podcast and talking to artists like you, Cubs, is because now that's out there in the universe. And when someone like me or the listeners hear a song like Be Like You or Be Somebody or too gone or louder, they don't feel the negative vibes. They feel the positive vibes that I'm talking about, like walking on the beach and hearing it at a party. So I yeah. really appreciate thank what... You. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, thank you, right? Uh, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. We appreciate what you do because it really is something that helps us deal with the mundane. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, of course. You mentioned earlier when you were talking about you writing Be Like You that you did some of the production on your phone. I was curious, when I listen to a lot of your music, it's poppy with some electronic influences. And I was curious when I was listening, do you do your own production? Do you have a team that you work with? Has that changed over the years as you've gone more into being Cubs? As far as everything that you're hearing right now, I, it's all been co-produced. Let's be honest, mostly produced by my partner, who gets a little squeamish when I say his name in public. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but his name's Taylor, and he's fucking incredible, Keith. He's like, if I can brag about Taylor for a second, he's one of those savantish kind of people. He's a very different dude. He's overcome with synesthesia or whatever when he's making beats or instrumentals or whatever, <laughs> the scoring of the music. But he'll be like, hey, man, do you see like a silver blue kind of purple iris when you hear this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. The answer is always yes. <laughs> but yeah, he has this sixth dimensional relationship with music that's out of the realm of timelessness and beyond the realm of dreams. He has... When whatever made him was making him, they forgot to separate those two parts. And so, you know, what he describes to me sounds like a full-on psychedelic experience that is triggered by music. 
And I think to unionize with, let's be honest, a superpower like that and make that your primary source of inspiration, your income, your life work, Taylor's really got it right. I'm very proud of him and very thankful for to him, for him. As the music will progress, as I'm sure you can maybe tell with louder, you know, there's a lot more like real instruments in that. We're kind of going for a different vibe. You know, I would hope that Taylor would be making all of my music from now to the end of time. But, you know, we might be seeing phasing in and out new producers and broadening the spectrum of how the music sounds because the music I like is so much different than the music that I make, at least to listen to. That's and so I'm wondering, like, what do you listen to? Yeah. I mean, I listen to like a lot of very alternative electronic stuff, indie stuff. And so, I'm wondering, I'm like, okay, if I start taking pieces of the other music I like and putting into mine, do I like that better? Or do I like that stuff because it's so much different than mine? So I'm going to experiment a little bit with that. Definitely going to move more into the realm of kind of like an alternative pop space rather than dance music. And so Louder is kind of the first step into that. And I think it's going well. It feels great. Yeah, absolutely. Is there something that inspired the song Louder, like an event or a feeling? Or is that just you trying to go down this path of experimenting with new music? Yeah, my partner called me while I was barbecuing one night, making dinner. And he's like, yeah, I just got this new DA, you know, this music making program. He said, it's really great for like drum timing and drum synthesis. And so he's learning it. And then 20 minutes later, he just downloaded it. And 20 minutes later, he sent me this percussion loop. And I was like, that's amazing. And the next session we went to, he added a couple chords to it. And I was like, I need you to give me this song. (laughs) (laughs) Sucked all the air out of the room. I was like, I need this to be mine. And he's like, okay. We kind of just built it from there. And it was really, dude, like, he was so excited about it, and I was so excited about it. And I was like, hey, dude, if we're both excited about this, let me have this. <laughs> like, let's do this together. And then the words just came out. There's days that me and him will just labor over a song, and it's just, like, pulling teeth. I leave there feeling all deflated. And then there's days that it just comes, it just spills right out of you. And those are the days that you get all giddy, and when you come up with an idea, the other person, like, starts snapping their fingers, and like, yeah, you come on, keep going, you know? And, like, that's those are the magic sessions, especially right. with him. It came out, and I guess it was technically inspired by, like most of my songs, an amalgamation of the most dysfunctional relationships that I've had. And it was really kind of my love letter to those relationships. Even though they weren't very conscious, (laughs) evolved relationships, it was part of the growth. Like, I wouldn't have been with the person I was with at the time who I saw as the love of my life if I hadn't gone through all these shitty times with all these other people. If somehow all of those moments of hell with all these other women all accumulated and justified the reward that I got, like the treasure at the end of the rainbow with this girl that I was with, it was really just trying to celebrate this function for what it is, I guess, another form of that shadow work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the hardest shadow work is doing it with somebody else because they say when you love someone and you're with someone, if you want to make the relationship work, you need to love all parts of them and you need to love the parts of them that you initially think you don't love. And you need to just be (laughs) glad that that's part of who they are. Totally. I mean, if you don't, the inverse will happen, Keith. I mean, it's really like my mom told me and my grandma told me at two different times, what you will love about them the most in the beginning is what will annoy you the most about them later. That's kind of how that shadow work goes. We are ever changing. As humans, we're in this state of flux. And to partner with somebody, I think, monogamously or not, I think to have a partnership between two bodies and two souls and two past, presents and futures together to create new life. I think that's like the ultimate path for humanity, like what we're here for as a species and as a consciousness. And so I think that 
the difficulties that come in relationships, they are here as lessons. I mean, everything that's difficult is just a lesson to help you ascend, is my belief. You know, it's great when you have two people that are committed to really digging into each other's trash bins. <laughs> you know, that's the thing, dude, a relationship. I take out the girlfriend. trash every week. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Clean out your closet, man. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. Shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> a trap. but um it's nobody else's job to go within you and fix your problems i think in relationships people rely on that too much and that has catastrophic ramifications however i think naturally if you're with the right person and you're in alignment in general i think that that person and what they do to you whether intentionally or not because of their baggage that will naturally cause a chain reaction that will trigger the worst parts of you there is no better way to explore yourself than with a partner who makes you pick for better or for worse. Yeah, and who's in it with you. You know, I just had a terrible ending of a beautiful relationship. And, you know, all it was was I'm sorry. one person want. Okay, man, you know, that's why I'm here now. It's part of my path. And True. I love her and I thank her for it. But the second one person decides to embark on their own journey rather than a co-founded journey or whatever, that's when all of the Jenga pieces start to fall. It'll happen in such rapid progression, the universe will tear them out of your life immediately with zero forgiveness and zero recourse. Unfortunately, that's the side effects. But, you know, when you're left in a state like that, when the world is crumbling underneath you and you're holding on for dear life, those are the moments of true transformation when you're on the precipice of greatness and self-discovery. So without that, I wouldn't have been where I am today only three months later, spiritually speaking, and from a standpoint of self-love and acceptance. Damn, Cubs, I have so many things that I want to say. I keep forgetting all of them and then <laughs> that, remembering that later. <laughs> no, it's not a rant. It's a conversation, right? Like I yeah. <laughs> want to hear what you have to say and then I respond to it. And I'll probably go on a rant right now. You know, oh, yeah. it's like, <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say a lot of what you're saying is so true. Like we as humans and as souls or conscious beings, at some level, we are the culmination of our experiences and we're just living mm-hmm. in the present and those yeah. impact who we are. Oh man, I'm telling you, I need to like write all this stuff down. <laughs> so you said growing from these experiences and it's so true because at the end of my last breakup, I wrote something, it wasn't a song or anything, but it was called The Void. And it was sort of about, to paraphrase what I wrote, it was like, Ending something that's so important and stepping out of that makes you feel so vulnerable and alone. And that if something so important just ended, what is next and what's important right now? And that's why that feeling is the void, because you just feel like you're so alone, but you have to build from the ground up. And that's when those moments of growth truly happen is when you're starting at ground zero. The building blocks at the bottom are always the strongest and the most important for building a structure. And so anytime in your life where you're stuck building from ground zero upwards is going to be a point of transformation, like you said. Yeah, Keith, you nailed it there, man. And there's also a little bit of a response to something you said earlier, which was that some of these songs come from those lowest moments and those moments of highest vulnerability. But from my experience in both what I've done and what I've seen or heard other people do, that seems to be like when art is at its best is when humans are in the most pain. And it's 
it's so depressing, but it's so true. I feel like that some of the most artistic things I've written or done or said come from those moments of just trying to get all of that bad energy out. Yeah, yeah, you got a clear space. But I want to transition from that conversation. Hopefully this question has a little bit more of a positive vibe. Of all of the songs that I listened to from you, Cubs, my personal favorite is Too Gone. And I wanted to hear about if there was a story or an inspiration behind that one. It sounded like you're reflecting on either college days or high school days with listening to Frank Ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. That's my favorite. That was like one of my top three songs from 2018. Yeah. Well, thank you, Keith. Two Gone came about, I wrote it over like two years, maybe. I wrote this song for the Chainsmokers with a couple friends of mine, Young, and we really liked the track that we wrote it. Uh, Young, it was oh, on okay. their Memories Do Not Open album. Taylor made this beautiful track to it. I mean, it was, it was sick as fuck, dude. It was amazing. And then Chainsmokers were like, hey, will you just send us a piano version? Because we're going to kind of do our own thing. And so they didn't take the track and it was just sitting there. And I was like, we can't just let this track sit here. Right? I mean, no way. I'm so glad you didn't. <laughs> yeah. So that day I was walking around my friend's pool and I was like, how can I get as close to that melody as possible without getting in any trouble and still tell the exact same story, maybe about a different time in my life? So I wrote that and recorded it and they loved it and I couldn't write a verse for it for 18 months. Bro. Damn. Uh, and so they're like, yeah, we got to put this song out. It's amazing, dude. And so got in with Agreed uh, with whoever said with, that. <laughs> <laughs> So I got in with my boy and I was having trouble with it. And he was just like, just do what you do. Go back into times. And I was like, well, I've talked about X, Y, and Z. I've talked about this girl, that girl so many times. And he was just like, it doesn't have to be a girl, man. So I was like, okay, <laughs> like, who are other people that have hurt me? <laughs> so, you say who are other people who have hurt me? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, no. okay. Let's, let's really wring the sponge out <laughs> and a couple more drops of dirty water and there you go. I mean, I wrote part of it about a friend of mine from the fraternity who kind of slowly started turning on me and he supported my music at first and then as everybody started making fun of my music and he felt the pressure, he kind of joined the gang and kind of turned against me too and I found out about it while we were in my car smoking weed and it was snowing and we were listening to Novocaine by Frank Ocean, right? And so I was like, okay, that's like a perfect detail. I was like, is it Frank Ocean too much. That's the line. We were heavy smoking in your ride. It started snowing. Yeah. yeah. The songs yeah. by Frank Ocean. And now it's Yeah, so that part was about a dude named Andrew. <laughs> and then Yeah, yeah, I'll call him out. Yeah, and then, <laughs> well there's plenty of Andrews, I'm sure you can skate under the radar. <laughs> but the verse itself was kind of another amalgamation of this girl that I dated in the middle of college before I moved to Chile and then this girl I started dating when I was living in Chile and just kind of mashed it Frankenstein it all together and we signed a distribution thing with Caroline and they loved it and that was the first single we did with them and uh, it's so much fun to play live it's definitely one of the most cathartic ones too because I can really just belt the fuck out and just let it all out that song and be somebody for sure the power songs live you lived in Chile 
Yeah. You're like, that's what you took away from this story? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I lived in uh, <laughs> I lived in Xi'an, Chile for a few months studying abroad. And that was kind of where I found consciousness and meditation. That was the most expansive, besides this, what I'm in right now, that was the most rapidly expansive growth period of my life, physically and spiritually. I got jacked. I started <laughs> running all the time. I was meditating. Like, I just came back a different person. And I got plopped right back into this college life. And I was looking around. I was like, I don't like any of you people. What am I doing here? <laughs> so then I retreated into a small friend group. And I re-fortified myself. And I said, okay, dude, this rap thing isn't working. Nobody likes it. You don't like it. It's coming from a low vibration of you trying to make yourself feel less inferior with the pop music and the boasting of it. And I was just like, you have so much hurt in you. And like, you can't be meditating four hours a day. So you need to put it into music and slow it down. You don't have to rap. Just sing. Why not? Just sing. That's kind of what led to Cubs. Yeah. Well, what a transition. And also, it's crazy how much a change in scenery for an extended period of time can really alter your perception when you get put oh, yeah. back into that scenery. Yeah. It's wild. Well, Keith, I think I even read something about that. Well, I don't really read. I heard something about that oh, from a podcast. <laughs> Mom's spaghetti. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and uh, I heard it on your podcast. <laughs> so this should be no surprise to you when you hear it. But I read something about why traveling is such a spiritual experience and why it's kind of a cornerstone of so many self-discovery tales, right, from the, since the dawn of written word or whatever. <laughs> but I think it's because we get so desensitized in our day-to-day life. I lived in the same suburb town for 19 years of my life you can basically blindfold yourself and drive to the grocery store buy groceries get back home eat it and go to bed and go to work the next morning with the blindfold still on because you are completely programmed you're in a trance state so when you're plucked out of that i wouldn't call it a prison but your enclosure and you're put out in the wild so to speak or in a different country and you can't even recognize the language that's being spoken around you you have no as far as neurologically you have no ties to the place that you're in so you have zero option but to be present in the moment and when you slip into that gap that's where consciousness elevated consciousness goes to fill that void and that's what happened to me Yeah, you become hyper aware of new surroundings. Mm -hmm. And with new surroundings, it's a weird combination of having your guard up, but also not having your guard up because you need to not have your guard up in order to make your way through society. And I studied abroad in Shanghai in China. And then Mm -hmm. I spent a week in Beijing traveling by myself. It's the only time I've ever traveled alone. And I have maintained that, like you said, that was the most I've ever grown own mentally and spiritually, just being in touch with myself, traveling and understanding that at any time I could make a decision and I didn't have to check with anyone because I was the only one in charge of my day and in charge of my time. And it was so great when I was just sitting on a park bench by myself, probably the weird looking white kid in China. (laughs) And I, I like fake turned to somebody who wasn't there. I was like, you, you okay if we stay five more minutes? And there was no one to, there was no one to answer me. So I just stayed five more minutes. Right. And that was pretty cool that that was something that I wanted to get out of my day and I didn't have to ask for approval. So that's my tangent. No, that's great, dude. I mean, it sounds like you turn and you ask to somebody that's not there. I mean, you're asking yourself, 
that's huge, man. Like that's kind of part of being your own best friend. And like, there's no quicker road to that destination than being completely alone in a place that's totally foreign to you. Where even if you had a guard to put up, what would that guard do in this new place? How would it protect you? Because <laughs> the rules of societies change so vastly, and it just forces us to become ourselves in a new place, which just reaffirms your becoming yourself again. Which we lose track of ourselves so easily. It's like a brilliant design flaw in humanity that we can so easily fall into mundanity and to you know anxiety and depression, or like just feeling numb from our surroundings and glued to our phones. It's quite miraculous in a super dark way, but you know I think that that makes being present and being with yourself and in the moment that makes it all the more rewarding. So that's awesome that we that me and Keith both got to experience that because it's just another stepping stone to where we are today professionally and just having this conversation right now and being able to relate with each other about art but do it from such a almost omnipresent and aware and conscious understanding fashion. So hell yeah, dude. Yeah, absolutely, Cheers. and. The- <laughs> Cheers right back. This is one of my favorite things about Mom Spaghetti Cubs is that, you know, I'm on the receiving end of the art and you're on the, I mean, you're, you listen to music too, obviously. So you're on the receiving end too, but you're also on the giving end, but we find commonality and this platform that we have is a great way to get listeners to say, wow, he has that song, Be Like You, but maybe it's me that he's talking about. We're all Mm -hmm. in this together. I come back to music is the great unifier. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, that's what inspired me musically. Like, I think it was a Boney Vera album that I heard him say Third and Lake. It was like the first line of his verse. And I was like, I have no idea where Third and Lake is. It sounds like it's a street intersection, but but I know where Third and Lake is. It's in my heart. I've been there. I've been to my own version of that. It had this transcendent experience because I was just like, you can take a moment in detail from your life and make somebody else or millions of other people feel that within theirs. And it just shows this interconnected emotional cosmos between people. And that is something I wanted to give my life to exploring and to tapping into because that is bigger than all of us. Yeah, definitely. Cubs, you bring up listening to Bonnie Vare and that inspiring you to start on your musical journey, which leads to two of the last questions I have. Do you have an artist who you would love to collaborate with where you sit in your seat right now and you say, I'm getting big and, you know, it's on the path. If I could collaborate with this artist, I would just feel like I've really made it. Yeah, I mean, there's so many honorable mentions. I would say Justin Vernon from Boney Bear is way up there. I would really love to work with this girl, Anna of the North. She's like an awesome indie singer. Also, Mo or Moo, I think we would sound killer together. I think we would sound brutal together. It'd be, it'd be awesome. Is that the girl from Lean On? Yeah. yeah. Okay. To me, she's this fucked up, grungy Stevie Nicks of our generation. Well, I guess Stevie Nicks was that, too, of her generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see her as the modern Stevie Nicks. Her music kind of hits me the same way. It's hard because it's like, I love Kanye West, but I picture me and him in a room, and I'm like, would there, would there be anything there? Like, I would hope so, but <laughs> I get almost intimidated with that question. Also, Dan from Bastille. I think that would be two crazy voices happening at the same time. So yeah, that's my long answer. No, that's a good list. <laughs> when you talk about Bonnie Vare inspiring you, do you remember the first song that you ever wrote? Yes. Hell yeah. yeah. This is uh, <laughs> one of the questions where it seems like there's always a good story. 
at least from yeah. the listener's perspective. Like the artist is like, hell no, why'd you bring this up? <laughs> yeah, let me see. Do I have enough battery to tell this? Yeah, okay, I'll make it quick. I was dating this girl who was in a terrible, it was my first girlfriend. She was in a terrible, terrible place. Like, it would take decades to get out of a place like this, I feel like, on a conventional ascension path. But we basically weren't supposed to be dating because she was dating a friend of mine. It was kind of secretive or whatever. But she was like, I was like, can I take you on a date? I didn't drive. She was coming to pick me up. She stopped at the park to smoke a cigarette. Where like a friend of our friend who we didn't want to find out. I was like, what are you doing? And she said, I'm going to a movie with this guy. I'm going to a movie with John. <laughs> and he's like, cool, I'm going to come. And just gets in her car. So I'm in this polo shirt, all buttoned up and stuff. And I have these flowers waiting on my front door. And she pulls up in her Jeep with this douchebag in the front seat. And so I have to climb in the back. And she looks at me. She's telling me, like, ditch the flowers, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I threw them in my bush. We go to see the movie Hancock. She asked me to get, like, snacks, and I was like, okay, and my mom gave me 40 bucks for this date. I can do that. <laughs> I can swing that. So I get a big popcorn and, like, a large slushie for her and I to share, and, I, and the theater's packed, right? So I find the back of her head, and I go up to the seats, and she's sitting on the far left. He's in the middle, and the only seat is next to him. That's messed up, man. So I, yeah, dude. It's like, you can't really make this shit up. You can't make up my high school experience with this girl. It's like, it'd be too terrifying and no one would believe it. But she basically sat through this movie and I was writhing all the way through this Will Smith superhero movie. <laughs> and about halfway through, I see his hand slide over to her leg. And then the rest is history. <laughs> Relational Trauma 101 was the birth of my first song called Believe, which was about believing that bad things happen to good people for a reason and believing that someday what happened to me that night would pay off in love. Well, it got that catharsis going, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I guess on yeah. some twisted level it did, but I'm still sorry that happened to you. Yeah, I thanked her for a few weeks ago, actually. I called her and thanked her for that night. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I many, will... many others like that. So. I will not ask what she said in response. No. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> so the last question I have, the premise is, and this is how I end each episode that has an interview after your throwback track of your choosing ends, I cut to your answer for this question. It's basically a way cool. of the listener trying to understand you as an artist, where your inspiration comes from, what music you like. And I think it's a great way for them to identify with you if there's any overlap for, oh, I should check out more of his music or I would like to check out the full interview. The hypothetical is that someone buys you, Cubs, a vinyl record player, a nice one, and enough cash, I guess 250 or 300 bucks, to buy the first five vinyl albums to start your collection. Wait, are they first editions, or are they just my first five albums? No, it's, it's the first five albums <laughs> okay. to start your collection. You say, all right, these are the five vital vinyl albums to start my collection. Like, I need to have these Ooh, sitting in my okay. shelf. So yeah, with that, <laughs> Cubs, I'll hand it over to you for what five records you would choose to start your vinyl collection. Okay, well, I might raise you on this as if I was on a desert island with only five, and I had to survive on just those five. Cause... Same concept. All right, Keith, I think my five most essential albums in my collection to start I would say if greatest hits are, are allowed, I would do Fleetwood Mac, greatest hits. I would do Bon Iver, the self-titled album, or For Emma Forever Ago. Maybe both of those. I would do Eagles, greatest hits. 
808s and Heartbreaks by Kanye West. Yeah. And if I could trade the record player for one more record, I would get... <laughs> I have no way to listen to it, but I want these six <laughs> records. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Phil Collins' Face Value. That's a great yeah, my five. Original, yeah, dude, my original answer was Thriller, but then, you know, all that happened, so... <laughs> <laughs> Cut, cut. <laughs> well, the reason that I love that question is because we've talked about the style of your music, Cubs, and it's pretty poppy and electronic, but it's so mm-hmm. cool for members of the audience to hear your appreciation for all the greats who have come before us, like the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and Phil Collins. So I appreciate you giving that question some consideration and you were quick with it. You were ready. Yeah, I had it all written down here. appreciate that. Is there anything that the listeners of Mom Spaghetti should be on the lookout for in the next few months? Or is there an album or an EP that we should be expecting? Yeah, Keith. So the listeners of Mom's Spaghetti podcast, you guys can be looking out for a music video. It's probably going to be within the next month for Louder. And then we have an EP of five new songs that are kind of going to be a genre-bending electronic almost like a love note or an ode paying homage back to pop punk days. The songs have a very Blink-182 kind of feel, in my opinion, at least, Taking Back Sunday. And it's still that very soulful, cathartic Cubs music that I personally have come to love creating for y'all. So, yeah, look out for that. I have a few festival dates this summer and going to be adding more as the days come. And I can't wait for what's next. And I can't wait to show it to you guys. Excellent. We are very excited and we can't wait. The last thing is the sign-off. So if you can just hit us with some variation of thanks for listening to the Mom Spaghetti podcast. And our tagline is everybody eats because it's spaghetti. And also we're trying to put everyone on. It's about getting people onto new music and trying to expand the reach of you guys, the artists. So that was really long winded. But all I need from you is thanks for listening to the Mom Spaghetti podcast. I'm Cubs. Everyone eats. Okay. Yeah, you can give it multiple Got stabs. Okay. I've had people okay. have three or four goes okay, at I'll, it. I'll, here's the first one. You are listening to the Mom Spaghetti Podcast with me, Cubs, and my man, Keith. Thanks for chowing down with us today. Everybody's got to eat. Hell yeah. <laughs> you crushed it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, fans of Mom Spaghetti and Cubs alike. Cubs and I had such a good time, we even had some outtakes from the interview, which I included at the end of episode 29 and am keeping in here as soon as the music fades out. Otherwise, new episodes of Mom Spaghetti drop every Thursday, so I'll be back then. As for Cubs, we'll keep our eyes and ears open for that EP. Until then, we'll be playing Cubs' pop anthems all summer long. I'm Keith Cohen, your host of the Mom Spaghetti Podcast. One more huge shout out and thank you to Cubs and of course to you, the listeners. You can give it multiple Got stabs. Okay. I've had people okay. have three or four goes okay. at I'll, it. I'll, here's the first one. You are listening to the Mom Spaghetti Podcast with me, Cubs, and my man, Keith. Thanks for chowing down with us today. Everybody's got to eat. Hell yeah. <laughs> you crushed it. <laughs> Can I do another? If you want, I'm down for multiple takes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Your Mom's Spaghetti Podcast with me, Cubs, and my man, Keith. Thanks for chowing down with us. Everybody's got to eat. Sometimes. <laughs>
sometimes. <laughs> Always. <laughs> okay, so I can say something like, Ladies and gentlemen, this is Cubs, and you're listening to me and Keith on your mom's spaghetti podcast. And this is a little throwback to the 90s from the beautiful Cranberries titled Dreams. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is Cubs, and you're listening to your mom's spaghetti podcast. And we're going to play you a throwback from the 90s called Dreams by the Cranberries. Enjoy. This is Dreams by the Cranberries on. Your mom's spaghetti podcast. Your mom. <laughs> Your mom. <laughs> Your mom. <laughs> cut, cut. <laughs> cut, cut, cut. <laughs>